What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about stuff you already know, being a good minister of the gospel. And by minister, I mean servant. We are here to serve the gospel. Now, I know what you say. Well, Tony, I thought we were here to serve Jesus. Serving the gospel is serving Jesus. The, the idea, I'm taking this, this nomenclature, this verbiage rather, from the scriptures. In fact, um, I guess we could go all the way to First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul tells Timothy, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the, nourished up in the words of faith, and of a good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. So remember to put the brethren in remembrance of these things. You'll be a good servant or minister of Jesus Christ. And then uh, we have Paul claiming to be a minister of the gospel. I'm not going to get into all those verses. I'm crunched up against a time uh, barrier here, a deadline. Time barrier, a deadline. Anyway, so servant of the gospel, minister of the gospel, servant of Jesus Christ. It's all the same. And the way to do that is we tell people stuff they already know. Um, I'd been going to put this out anyway, but, and, and this is something I talk about quite often because quite frankly, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's intriguing that if you want to rise to the, to the top, I mean, if you want to be the creme de la creme, if you want to be a really good gospel preacher. If you want to be a really good, uh, podcast producer, as far as your content is concerned, if you want to be a YouTube talking head video host, which is you're looking at one, the best way to do that. If you're, if you're going to have gospel or, or, or religious material, don't try to invent the wheel or don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to take anything other than what's already out there and make it different because you can't the very youngest parts of our Bible is around 2000 years old. It's always, I mean, for the last 2000 years, this thing has been chopped up and disseminated and dissected and sermons and self-help gurus and all that kind of stuff. People have been going to this book of wisdom from Genesis to Revelation, all for the last two millennium, you're not gonna you're not gonna reinvent the wheel. And if you try, you're just gonna come off as quite frankly pathetic. So let's endeavor to be what Paul told Timothy, a good minister, a good servant. And let's just preach what we know. Only preach what's in the Bible. And then lo and behold, as I'm scrolling through Facebook and in my morning routine, as I normally do, I see a post where someone shared from the Fried Hardeman lectures, a preacher who made this quote, gospel preachers ought to quit standing in front of the cross and start standing behind it. I don't know if that was the exact quote verbatim, but that was in effect what was said. <clears throat> and that reminded me 
of the very first time that I heard Dan Winkler preach. Before we, before I get into that, uh, I want to say hello to everybody that's here in the comment section. Um, John Exum, that's right. That which has been is that which shall be. There's nothing new under the sun. Good morning. Good morning, Terry Crooks. Good morning, Scott Beck, Wayne Vaughn. And uh, good, uh, good to see everybody here cogitating about cogitations. Deborah O'Neill, and uh, yeah, don't preach the fundamentals because we've heard it X times, and we need to move on from the quote-unquote milk passages. I've heard that argument. I'm going to park right there for a minute. I want to address something in this argument that John Exum's heard, and I've heard it too. What would you say if I were to tell you and I'm going to be very blunt here, so this is going to be this might sound jarring. I would ask that you would stick around until I explain myself. It is actually wrong to say there are milk passages and there are milk passages if by milk and meat you mean that there are some things that are harder for people to understand and there are some things that are easier for people to understand. And the things that are easier for people to understand are milk, and the things that are harder for people to understand are meat. Here's the main, if for no other thing, I've got, I've got book, chapter, and verse that says that's wrong. But if for no other reason, in other words, if I didn't have book, chapter, and verse, I would know that that, that line of demarcation, that dichotomy is false, that binary is false, is because who draws the line? You know, I may have a 947 IQ. I may have scored a perfect score on the, incidentally, did y'all know that I scored an, like within three points of a perfect score on the ASVAB? That's the Army's or the military's uh, placement test or whatever it is. And let me tell you something. I had recruiters beating down my door, and uh, it's just not something that, that's not something that I wanted to do, but, uh, I, I took that as well. I got within, um, like I made a 97% out of a hundred percent on it. Anyway, that was a long time ago, but the point is who gets to decide what's hard and what's not, who gets to decide what's difficult to understand and what's not. I tell you what, we can go to the writings of, um, Peter. Let me see if I can find this real quick. I believe it's first Peter, um, Maybe the last chapter. Maybe some of you folks help me out in the chat. Where is where is the passage that Peter wrote that talks about the things that Paul, some of the things that Paul write are difficult to understand, and uneducated men twist them uh, or rest them to their own demise? Is it Second Peter three? Yeah, right here, Second Peter three. I'm going to start writing in, well, I'm going to start writing. I'm going to start, maybe you don't need to listen to me. I don't know if I, I can't tell if I'm reading or writing. Next thing you know, we'll be talking about arithmetic. Uh, first, second Peter chapter three, verse 14. Wherefore beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother, Paul also according to the wisdom that hath uh, given unto him, hath written unto you. So Paul has written unto you before about what Peter just talked about. As also, now this is the crux, as also 
in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destructions. So it is absolutely 100% true that some scriptures are hard to understand and some are not. But if we claim, well, these scriptures are meat scriptures, these preachers, these scriptures are, um, are milk scriptures, that's an arbitrary designation that has no foundation in scripture. Who gets to decide? What if you have 197 IQ and everything comes easy to you as far as how you learn and how you conceptualize abstract ideas? What if you have an 87 IQ and even learning the very basics are difficult for you? Does that make sense? So to come to the preacher that is tasked with preaching the whole counsel of God and say, well, we don't need to preach on the fundamentals because we've heard that 10 times. I say 10 X X is Roman numeral for 10. We've heard it X amount of times and we need to move on from the milk passages. That is a fundamental, in my opinion, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of God's word. And it is a fundamental misunderstanding of a passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews. Let's, let's run over to Hebrews really quick. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lay the foundation that there's no such thing as milk passages and meat passages if you are using milk passages and meat passages in that, well, there are some things that are hard to understand and there are some things that are difficult to understand. Is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 a milk passage? It's a good question. Some people might consider it a milk or a meat passage if you are defining milk and meat as milk is easy to understand and milk and meat is hard because Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, uh, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you where you're called. I mean, that's a little abstract. I mean, that's not, I mean, you got to think a little bit about that. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Well, I'm a wheelwright. I make wagon wheels. So I need to walk worthy of being a wheelwright. Well, no, no, evidently that's, this is metaphorical or it's different. It's abstract. In the, so I've got to consider the context. I've got to consider the purpose. So I've got to consider some things. So while walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there's one body and one spirit, even as you are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. Well, is that milk or is that meat? To, to me, it's milk. Like, I got that, buddy. I kept, but to somebody, well, we had, a, we had a young woman on the show the other day that actually just said, I'm disabled and I'm dumb. And I think it was because she was experiencing cognitive dissonance. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful to so many of you who reached out to her and said, you're not dumb. You, you, you can understand this. You, you, you're, you're being too hard on yourself. There's even uh, one of our listeners who watches these videos after the fact, reached out to her after the live stream and said, Hey, don't, you know, just, just, just think about these things. But for, for that woman who, who claims to have a disability, why well, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 might be meat. It might be difficult for her to understand. So that, that's why I say there's no such thing as milk and meat passages if 
you consider milk passages easy and meat passages hard because, um, as Wayne Vaughn says, everyone learns at different levels. And then my response is, who gets to decide? I think if there were milk passages and meat passages, um, and it was important as far as what was taught from the pulpit, God would not leave that up to an arbitrary designation. So, um, good, good question. And hello, sword and pearl, John Exum. I was told that I quit preaching because I, what you mean, John? I was told that I quit preaching because I read something. John, I don't follow that. I, I think I, I think I know what you're trying to say there, but I would like some, I, 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 before I comment on it, I would like some clarification to make sure that I'm understanding. Um, it, it sound, I don't think you quit preaching. So that's why I'm having the dissonance here. I was told that I quit preaching. Oh, wait a second. No, that, that wouldn't make any sense either. Sorry, I, I don't mean to perseverate on that comment. It just, in, I, I can I can typically suss out what people are actually trying to say with their comment, and that one's got me gassed up. So, so John, explain explain thyself, brother. I was told that I quit preaching because I read something. All right, now, oh. Replying, okay, meaning that I read a quote explaining the day-age theory and refuted it. So let me grab this. Let me grab this comment. Hold on. Y'all, I'm losing my ever-loving mind. Where's your comment, John? Is Facebook eat it? And incidentally, how are you how are y'all commenting on Facebook? Listen, uh, a good friend of mine uh, and and a person whom I look up to greatly, Ted Knight, he ain't been able to comment on the show for days, and uh, James Stafford hasn't been able to comment on the show. I, look, if you're on Facebook and you can't, and I'm not seeing your comment, you don't see it on the screen, y'all, it might be my fault, but it's out of ignorance. I don't know. Undoubtedly, something has changed. I don't know what that is. I, I I just don't know. So if you want to, if you want to comment, hop on into, the, well, f figure out where folks are commenting from Facebook and, and watch the show there, or come on over to YouTube, Christianity now streams. Um, meaning that I read a quote explaining the, uh, the day age theory and refuted it. Okay. Um, Hey, Hey, Alabama check and make sure you didn't accidentally block them. So I, I, I did, I, I didn't because if they, if I would have accidentally blocked them, they would also be blocked on, um, Facebook as well. Unless, wait a second. No, you may be on to something sister. Now that, now that you've said that, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to look into this. I'm going to make sure that they're not accidentally blocked on restream because I can actually uh, click, I can, I can reply. I can block user on the platform they're watching. I can put user in timeout and I can add them to a block list in restream chat. Surely. And, and, and it may be because David James Stafford and Ted hook Knight comments quite a bit. And what I'll do is I'll, is I will, uh, well, hold on a second. 
No, I don't want to. There we go. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll highlight their comment like I have John Exum's highlighted. It might be that I accidentally blocked them. And because they comment quite a bit and they comment good comments. all. But again, it, it wouldn't. I'm not above making a mistake. But for now, if if you're not if your comments aren't showing up and I'm not reading them, it has nothing to do with you. Has everything to do with me and probably something I've messed up. So just come on over to Christianity Now streams and we'll try to get it right. Uh, so don't preach the fundamentals because we've heard it X number of times and we need to move on from the milk passages. Let's go to um, the book of Hebrews and. Uh, Let's let's check this out. All right. Hebrews, the end of chapter 5. Listen to this. Verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to, to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. This is going into chapter 6, verse 1. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works into faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. Now, a lot of times what folks look, okay, what folks look at is they'll say, oh, well, see, milk passages and meat passages. Because the first principles of Christianity here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully. Well, those are milk, but the but the hard things, the meat passages, like eschatological topics or some morality topics, those are hard, and 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 not everybody's ready for them, folks. That's not what that passage of scripture is teaching at all. The first principles of the oracles of God is the Old Testament. the the, the context of of Hebrews is. The, the Hebrews writer is writing to a bunch of Jews who need to be reminded that Jesus is the Messiah and the foundation for that, the first principles of Christianity was laid all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 whenever God told Eve that there will be enmity between her seed and or, or the serpent, there would be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of woman. And Paul, the Hebrews writer is saying, look, you Hebrews in Jerusalem, you need to move on from that and understand. You should be teachers, but you have need that somebody needs to come in and teach you again. You have forgotten the first principles of the oracles of God, that a Messiah is coming and that a Messiah has been prophesied. And you should be teaching these things, but you have gotten sick and you're not able to digest them yourself. In this context, all of Scripture is meat because it's what full-grown, mature adults eat. 
And if you're sick, then you have to go back to eating the things babies eat because you can't digest things. My daughter's dog, until we figured out, uh, until we figured out a product called slippery elm bark, my daughter, my daughter's dog had some digestive issues and she would, she would get sick and puke up her food once or twice a week in some cases where we started giving her slippery elm bark and, and it, it, she was able to digest it. Well, if, if my daughter's dog digestive tract got too bad, we would feed her like white rice and blanched chicken with a little bit of milk, just something really, really easy on the stomach. If you are sick, whenever they nurse you back to health, they're not going to, like if you're laid up in the hospital and you're sick, they're not going to give you an 18-ounce porterhouse steak. They're going to give you toast and oats and something easy to digest. Slippery M, man, let me tell you something. It is a miracle drug. I have, and I, I guess it's good for humans, but I know that it's been, my daughter says it's been over a month since her dog has regurgitated. All right. Now, so here we have there. All of scripture is meat in that situation. And if you're having to eat milk, it's because you have a deficit and you need to be matured, okay? But in this case, all scriptures meet. Now, let's go to um, Hebrews, James, first and second. Let's go to First Peter. Let's see. First Peter. What is that verse? Oh, come on. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Am I losing my mind? Somebody help me out. Hold on a second. I don't know why I'm struggling, struggling. Um, all right. As newborn babes, is that first Peter two, two and three. All right. I was there. I should have listened to me. First Peter two, Two and three. Let me get it. Listen to this. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all and, and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere miracle of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let me tell you something, folks. In, thank you, Neil Abbott. And uh, in in this situation, all scripture including the fundamentals, which as preachers we get told, well, I don't know why you've preached on that. You've preached on that 12 times this year, and it's December. Like, so about once a month then. Well, yeah. So you you, you think that uh, maybe once a month we take one Sunday and just have a sermon on, on the fundamentals to make sure they're still up front in, in our minds? Well, that's just milk passages. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And we're told as newborn babes, we are to desire that milk. So in, in the context of 1 Peter chapter 2, all scripture is milk. And in the context of Hebrews chapter 5, all scripture is meat. And there are two different lessons to learn. And so that, that's why I've got 
don't preach the fundamentals because we've heard it X times and we need to move from the milk passages. That's why I've got that up on the screen to talk about that. And it's, it's, it's took taking up so much of our time in the live stream. And I'm not complaining. It's good. This is good. This is good material. All right. Uh-oh, you said that drug was a miracle, so therefore you are a false teacher. That's a miracle drug. Yeah, well, actually, a miracle is something that supersedes the natural law. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're correct, Jonathan. Um, I get you. Now, uh, boo, let me go. Let me get some comments here. Um, there's one I wanted to get from Sue Ross. Hold on. Well, where is it? Why is my comments? Why is my comment section discombobulated? Right here. Boom. The first time I've ever heard that explaining that the Old Testament was the first principles. Dash. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. I'm glad you agree with me. You know, some people don't agree, but, and, and let me, let me, let me flesh that out and, and take some time to flesh that out uh, because I want to. I, like it makes so much sense to me. Listen to this. Therefore, so because you need to be teachers and you need to eat meat, you need to leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Leave the Old Testament. Leave, leave, leave the you. You've already got this. You're, 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 you're. The, you've got. You're grounded in the fundamentals. You need to go on to perfection. Let's start teaching the. The doctrine of Christ, don't lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Folks, that was a doctrine in the old covenant, just like it is in the new. And a faith toward God. That's a that's a that's a doctrine uh in the uh in the old covenant. In fact, uh, I'm gonna put my marker here and I want to show you something very interesting. Um of Acts chapter 20. This this blows my mind, okay? Acts chapter 20, and, and I think words are important, okay? 20, yeah, right here. Verse 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek. Now, let it, listen, it's repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrews writer said you need to leave laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, I know Jesus is God, but I think that the, the designation here is important. As a Christian, I teach faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. When I say we need to have faith in God, I mean faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If I were a Hebrew teaching the Old Covenant, I would say we had to have faith in God. That's God the Father through Moses the Mediator. Anyway, that's just a something extra. Um, all right. Of the doctrine of baptisms, how many baptisms are there in the New Covenant? That that is a part that that is that is designed exclusively for the new covenant. That that is general. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not to everyone. The baptism of fire it's not for everyone. Not everybody suffers like Jesus suffered or the apostles suffered. That's what baptism of fire is. 
Well, there's one Lord, one faith, one what? Baptism. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, whatever creature, he that believeth in his baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. There's only one baptism associated with the new covenant. But there were many baptisms associated with the law of Moses. In fact, so prolific were baptisms under the law of Moses that throughout Jerusalem, there were these baptismal pools called mikvahs. Don't lay again the foundation of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of eternal judgment. All of those things were things from the Old Testament. We are to be partakers of the meat that is the new covenant, and we are to earnestly seek after that meat as newborn babes seek after milk. So in the context of Hebrews, all Scripture is meat. And in the context of 1 Peter 2, all Scripture is milk. I love it. Olamus rubra, slippery elm, is just a natural tree or plant God gave us. It is anti-inflammatory and helps with respiratory and digestive issues, weight management, etc., how does it help with weight management? I know it affects your guts. Does it make you feel full or something? I'd be interested. I'd be out there like a beaver gnawing on an elm tree. All right. John Exum, I'm done with your comment, buddy. That's a good comment. We had a we had a lot of good lot of good teaching, I think. Is that is that weird for me to say? I think it made good content. You decide whether or not it was good teaching. All right. Oh, let me get this one. I learned from defending the faith study Bible. The Bible encompasses a rich variety of literary genres, including history, law, poetry, songs, wisdom, literature, prophecy, personal letters, and apocalyptic writings. Each genre requires a distinct interpretive approach. Historical literature must be understood differently from wisdom literature, and poetry cannot be approached in the same manner as apocalyptic text. Absolutely. Absolutely. No comment there. It is true. Um, and of course, Sue Ross, that just tickles me pink. I'll live on that all day. First time I've heard that explanation. There, there's, listen, I don't care if you disagreed with me. If you said, Tony, I don't believe what you're saying is true, but I can see where it makes sense and I need to chew on it. I'd, I'd live on that for a week or two. I'd live on that for a week or two. All right. It would be unwise not to remind people of the fundamentals because our memory is short. B. Werner Gitt observed various writing systems have been devised by man who is now able to record thoughts and ideas. The invention of writing is one of the greatest achievements of human in intellect. The human memory span is brief, and the storage capacity of the brain, though vast, is limited, defending the faith study Bible. That's pretty cool. 
We learn a lot about Yahweh and his nature by studying the Old Testament. True, we do learn a lot about God and his nature. Well, I mean, Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. You cannot, you cannot neglect the Old Testament. We need to have the Old Testament. All right, now, so let's talk about being a good minister of the gospel. First off, there is a danger in doing new things for the sake of doing new things. I'm in Acts 20, so I'm going to lick my finger and turn left to uh, Acts, what is it, 17. Uh, There's a verse here. Yeah, let me, okay, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. No, 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others some He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is whereof thou speakest. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. And then we have this parenthetical. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there, that's on the Areopagus, spent their time in nothing else but to either hear or to tell some new thing. Now, the Areopagus, Mars Hill, was the center for philosophical learning. And they all got together and they just wanted to talk about the news, the new thing, and look for all the good it did them because Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that you people are too driven by the occult. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I saw one with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him Declare I unto you. Well, folks, let me tell you something. These people wanted to hear or tell something new. And what I see from my brethren whenever they go south, whenever, when I, I don't mean directionally, but whenever they go off the deep end, it's because they've come up with something new. I've done it in the past. I remember I, 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 I called Tyler Jenkins one day. And man, I, I wish to high heavens I could remember what it was. But I was wrong. And I'm not romantically involved with my ideas. So if they turn out to be wrong, I divorce them and get them on down the road. Much like some people do with their wives. Anyway, I called Tyler and I said, hey, go read. Whatever, whatever. I, again, I can't. It had something to do with Paul's missionary journeys and how he sent Timothy, and something to do between Titus and First and Second Timothy and First and Second Thessalonians, and Paul's missionary journey in Acts. And I thought that I had found some kind of crazy golden thread connection. That, granted, it wasn't world changing, but it was just really, really cool. And T- Tyler was all excited. Well, he called one of his friends and mentors who happened to be a teacher in a seminary school at the time, 
who specialized, one of his classes was the Missionary Journeys of Paul. And Tyler and I talked about this for an hour or two, and it was amazing. And, and, and I just, you know, I was like little Jack Horner. I stuck in my thumb and I pulled out a plum and I said, look at my plum. I'm a good boy. Well, Tyler called me back the next day. He said, Hey man, I want to let you know, I talked to so-and-so I was like, Oh yeah. He said, I told him what we talked about. I said, Oh, that's great. What he say? He said, well, he said, go read Acts chapter, whatever, whatever. I'm like, okay. And I read it and I knew he said, well, or I said, well, there goes that. I come up with some new thing, but that one brother that had a piece of information that I was lacking, a piece of critical information that I was lacking in one sentence, just tore it all down. Well, that's okay because it still grew my brain. It still wrinkled my brain and it doesn't matter. I love to be proven wrong because it gives me the opportunity to study more. In fact, there's a, it's, it's an interesting episode. I can't remember what episode it is of this uh, television show that aired in the States beginning in, I think it began in 1999, the Futurama. And the professor, Hubert J. Farnsworth, he answered all the questions of the universe. And then he became depressed because there were no more puzzles left to suss out. Listen, I, I'm a logician. Finding the answer to me, the journey, the thought process in finding the answer is more rewarding than finding the answer. I like having the answer, but I really love getting to the bottom of it. And, and look, any, any conviction that I hold, I love having it challenged. And if I find that conviction not to be up to par, I will kick it down the road. I'll throw it out like a dirty diaper. That passage was always interesting to me. Romans 1, 20 to 21 says that they knew God, but didn't glorify him as God. Plato's dialogue to Timotheus described a father creator. Oh, man. Um, in Acts chapter 17. The Epicureans and the Stoics, the Epicureans and the Stoics had two distinct ways of experiencing life. The Epicureans experienced life through their senses. Um, in fact, an ep like I can't, I, I, I can't remember what barbecue joint it is in Memphis, Tennessee, but their slogan is it's an Epicurean barbecue of an Epicurean pr uh, proportion, meaning when you eat this barbecue, it's such a good experience to your senses. It transcends this realm of existence and, and plugs you into the divine. Brandon, you want to talk about Gnosticism. That's, that's Gnosticism. So how, how do you transcend this earth and be plugged into the divine? The Epicureans thought it was through, uh, your senses. And that that's from where we get, uh, hedonism. You know, you got, people who are hedonistic and they, they transcend this world through, uh, chasing pleasure, uh, chasing experience. And then the Stoics, um, the now Stoics, the, that word Stoicism has come forward 
Now it's someone who's very unemotional. Um, I can think of a couple people. I mean, it's it's hard for me to talk to a very very stoic person because I I re I I I play so much off of people's reaction to what I say, and if somebody's very very stoic, it's it's hard for me to figure out, you know. Like, I, I don't understand how to have this conversation because you're not giving me anything, okay? Uh, but the reason for the word stoic and the reason they were called stoics is because they're, uh, the founder of stoicism, Zeno, he would meet with his disciples, his students, on porches. And the Greek word for porch is stoa. And a Stoic was a person who met on a porch and, and discussed philosophy and, and stuff. So, so the way the Stoics, the followers of Zeno, explained and, and tra- explained transcendence and related to this plane of existence and tried to transcend to the next was uh, by disciplining their experience. All right? And the writings of Zeno, incidentally, just like you said with Plato, uh, the writings of Zeno uh, talk about God and talk about uh, 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 no beginning, no end, eternal. Talk about an eternal entity as God, but the context, they're talking about the universe. They're not talking about God Almighty as we would know him from Scripture. Anyway. I think it is the commissary. It's an Epicurean experience. Uh, Scott Beck, thank you for that. And their barbecue, and this is going to be a hot take, their barbecue is okay. It's fair to Midland. That's all I got to say about that. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir you. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. False teaching begins with impure minds seeking to find something new in the brotherhood. Yes, and and sadly, I don't think those minds would think they're impure. There's nothing wrong with seeing something others haven't seen either or connecting a dot. Then yes, sometimes we miss a detail and have to be able to humble ourselves, but the fact we are raising questions and hitting roadblocks that make us look deeper and question and think critically it drives us to grow, and ultimately, yes, if we are wrong, we need to humble ourselves. There's evidence we may not know. There's evidence we may have not know, and the things we can understand more perfectly, but twisting or stretching scriptures to some end that drives you to a false conclusion, some new doctrine that you aren't willing to yield is dangerous, could be sincerely wrong or some other motives. Yes. And look, I've been noticing on my timeline an up an uptick in flat earth theory. Now look, not all ideas are worthy of respect or consideration. And the fact that the earth is not round is hyper stupid. I don't have to have science to tell me that. And if somebody comes to me and says, well, you can't trust science. The earth is round. I don't know that. I don't know that I can even talk to that person. I don't think that person is 
possesses the ability of critical critical thinking enough to where I can I can actually conversate with them. Think about how intricate the conspiracy would have to be and how long it would have to be spread out for the earth to actually be flat. We were able to understand the earth was round. I don't know. I, mean, I, I want to say it's like almost 2,000 years ago. Maybe sixteen or eighteen hundred years. I, I can't remember. But do you think? Well, let's just say the th- we'll just say a thousand years. Do you think for the last one thousand years, with all the I have never actually met a flat earther. Boy, I have. And you can't talk to them. That's the thing. They'll say, "Well, the Earth is flat. How do you know?" Well, because. And then, well, it's shaped more like an egg. Actually, actually, it's if you could take the earth and you could shrink it down to the size of a cue ball and, 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 and you, or you could grow yourself up to be a giant and you could run your fingers along the, the surface of the earth, it would feel as perfectly spherical as that cue ball. Like the, the, pe- people don't understand how big, they can't conceptualize how big the earth is. I got this meme that I shared and I said, I can't believe that this stupidity is out there. And basically going from, well, let me, <clears throat> let me pull up the meme. If the earth was spinning, a thousand miles per hour east, it would be faster to fly west. So think about it. If the earth was spinning this way, it would be faster to fly this way because according to the meme, you would rise up off the surface of the earth and then we would go this way and the and 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 you would be flying in one direction and the earth would be going the opposite direction. So it would exponentially multiply your rate of travel. There's just one problem. It denies physics. It denies the fact that the earth is a closed system and you can go on YouTube and you can find video of a couple of kids on a hay trailer bouncing a ball and they bounce the hay trailers being moved along at like 25 miles an hour and they bounce a ball and the ball goes up and comes right back down where it bounced because you have the law of inertia and you don't consider that ball while you're holding in your hand, moving at 25 miles an hour, but it is moved at 25 miles an hour. So when you drop it, when you let it go of your hand, it's still traveling at 25 miles an hour and an object in motion wants to stay in motion until it's enacted upon by another force. Well, the force that enacts upon it is the the floor of the trailer. And so the ball bounces back up. Well, you still haven't diminished the energy of the forward momentum enough to mess with the forward momentum. Anyway, that, that, that ought to go without saying Scott Beck says my wife makes people insane by telling them men didn't land on the moon. Um, well, you know, I've Scott, let me throw that up there. So I don't forget it. I want to, 
say something about that. Um, because I used to be a moon landing denier to me, a, a conspiracy to say that the United States landed on the moon made much more sense or, or made sense. Uh, but now saying the earth is flat doesn't, um, John, <laughs> you're not allowed to comment for the rest of the show. You ought to sit there and think about what you've done. That's absolutely terrible. Man didn't land on the moon. The shuttle did. All right. So, but, but my, my point is think about all the moving parts to par a phrase from Brandon. Um, think about all the moving parts that would be involved with the conspiracy that spanned a millennia. And then what's the payoff? If all the government, if all the governments of the world were participating in this conspiracy theory for a thousand years, then how come I mean, what's the payoff? But what is the United States of America getting out of saying the earth is is round if it's flat? What's Russia? What's China? You know? So anyway, we just got to, we just, uh, th- th- this, this, this gets into where we want to hear tell some new thing. We don't need to be so stinking open-minded. Our brains fall out. And then, um, a lot of good comments. Um, and Jonathan, I'm just kidding. You can comment. Neither, neither of those are the most outrageous. No, they're not. Neither, and that's kind of sad. Neither of those are the most outrageous conspiracy theories. Um, all right. My wife makes people insane by telling them that man didn't land on the moon. I am going to search for a video. There is a video out there, oddly enough, by a filmmaker that said, we didn't have the technology in the 1960s to fake the moon landing. It was it was less of a technological marvel to actually go to the moon and return than it was to fake the moon landing. And he said, here's the problem. Here's what people don't understand that deny the moon landing. That all we see and all that's scrutinized is very, very short snippets of video, of film. And he says, like it's film. It's not there was no digital cameras back then. All right. So you actually had to have meters or feet of film. And oh yeah, Myth Brother, yeah, Myth Mythbusters did a very good job on that episode. So this guy, this filmmaker, explained of explained what it would take the van alien. No, that's stupid. The van alien, the van Allen radiation belt does not present a huge issue issue that that's been debunked time and time again. It's just false. That that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a dumb idea. And I'm being pretty blunt here because it just, like, let's say that there's no good explanation for the Van Allen radiation belt. 
You've got all this other stuff. You've got video footage of these people on the moon. And it cannot be faked because they didn't have the ability in the 1960s to fake it. Because how do you, how do you account for zero gravity? For one, when you look at it, when you look at the video, it plays weird tricks on your brain because we don't know what one sixth of the earth's gravity looks like. All right. Nobody called the moon from a landline. Where are you getting that? Nobody called the moon from a landline. Do you know what my daddy was doing in the 1980s? My daddy was a computer programmer from 1970 and he retired in like 2005 from the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. He was a computer programmer. In the 1980s, my dad could get on his radio, and I'd never forget it. He said, um, yeah, this WB4TIY on the auto patch. And then he would auto patch from that radio tower into the phone systems and he would call my mother from the car years before cell phone service was ever invented. Like it's the Dunning Kruger effect. People don't know what it is. They don't know they're in this little bitty bubble and they're deluded enough to think they know everything about their surrounding world. And I will tell you, in 1982, my dad, from his 1980 Caprice Classic, would call my mother at her house. Now, she would be talking on a landline, but he would be on a radio. That's the same technology that was used by NASA on the moon landing, and that's how we got voice and and video from the moon to the earth the technology is there it's easy all right it was all done with analog it was all done with uh radio waves and 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 analog from radio waves to an analog uh electrical signal i mean it's again have you ever seen or heard the alex jones theories yeah, you've got to be careful about Alex Jones. Alex Jones is like Nostradamus. Alex Jones, or Nostradamus, wrote a bunch of gobbledygook that years after the fact, we look at it, and with a bias, a cognitive bias, we say, oh, look, there's Nostradamus talking about Russia and the United States. Well, Alex Jones does the same thing. You know, he talked about the frogs being gay and stuff like that. Well, it turns out that they're throwing a chemical into the pond where it causes these frogs to be born and they're all born male. And that's what Alex Jones meant. Well, okay. Yeah, that, that doesn't pass the bar for me. Um, and, and I mean, Alex Jones supposedly predicted the, uh, twin towers falling. There's conspiracy theories around the twin towers which if you know anything whatsoever about metalworking, you know that those twin towers fell naturally. 
There was no conspiracy. It, it's, it's too much. It's too many moving parts. It doesn't pass the smell test. But back to the moon landing. The amount of film that it would have taken to fake the moon landing is so much that it would have been impossible to make. It would have been miles and miles and miles of film. And it would have taken because you you you've been to the you've been to the theater. Have you ever been to the theater whenever um of course nowadays it's probably all digital, but back in the eighties and the nineties, uh it was they, they got canisters of film and you would have the projector and if it was a long film, you would have two two canisters. And have you ever seen it where it messed up and the guy that changed the canister didn't do it? smoothly and you could tell where the change was so you can only get so much in a roll of film and this guy that was talking about this and talking about what it would take to fake the moon landing talked about how many times you would have to change these canisters and how many canisters it would take it's just not feasible and that's what convinced me like oh i don't care about anything else I care about what these people in the know and what these people that are experts in these ancillary fields, because that's what you don't think of. Well, well how, 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 could a, how, how could a filmographer, how could a film, how could a, a person in the film industry speak with authority about the moon landing? He doesn't. He's speaking about what it would take to fake. And he's telling you there was not enough technology Technology was not advanced enough in the 1960s to fake the moon landing. Folks, I'm going to tell you, get off the internet. Quit looking up this crazy stuff. Like there are things that you can know. There are things that you can scrutinize. Quit sitting around wanting to hear tell some new thing. You have, there, there's things that you have to be able to know. And within reason, I can know that man landed on the moon. With reason, I can know the earth is round. With reason, I can know, you know, if I eat a certain way, my body's going to be unhealthy. You know, people trying to say now, well, just because you're fat doesn't mean you're unhealthy. You're, you're, you're fat because you're unhealthy. You're not unhealthy because you're fat. I'm like, Go kick rocks. I don't care. So what you're saying is if I lost 100 pounds, I'd be healthier. Well, yes. Or if I got healthier, I'd lose 100 pounds. Well, yes. Well, tell me what's the easiest way to do that. You start eating less calories than you, than you burn. So it's the same formula. So I don't care about what you say. So nothing has changed. Just be a skeptic. Don't be so open-minded your brain falls out. And and don't 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 be so skeptical that you deny the truth when it pops up. I don't believe that which does not pass the law of rationality. Absolutely. 
Then people claim the, the Simpsons predicted stuff that happens now. Dude, that's another good. Alex Jones, Nostradamus, and the Simpsons, all three share the same level of credibility when it comes to predicting reality. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, Alex Jones is definitely entertaining to watch sometimes, but I don't particularly take him extremely serious. Absolutely. All right. Now, um, let's see. What am I doing here? I want to end with, let me, first off, let me get Scott's. Now, I, I will tell you this. Um, my granddaddy, born in 1909, he passed away in 1995. So somewhere between 1990 and 1995, he was sitting in his rocking chair close to the TV, and I was in my chair in the living room, and we were watching a documentary about the moon landing. And he turned around, he looked at me, he says, Tony, do you reckon we really went up there? And I'm like, I, you know what? Sitting in that living room, I didn't know. I couldn't prove it or deny it. It, it, it how, how do I say that? It, it passed the sniff test. Like, that's another thing. So you've got the United States, you've got Russia, you've got China, you've got Japan, you've got uh, Korea. You've got all these nations. If we've never landed on the moon, why do you think the enemies of the United States would allow the United States to take credit to, for being the first people on the moon? Jonathan brought up the law of rationality. What? What's, it's irrational to think that the United Soviet Socialist Republic would allow the United States to take credit for landing on the moon whenever they were in direct competition with us. Just something to think about. Don't let the butter slip off your biscuit. Uh, Terry Crook says, I find it puzzling when someone claims that God speaks to them directly. When I inquire further, they respond that God speaks to their heart. I respond. I don't personally hear any voices. Um, I don't personally hear any any voices. My only recourse is to turn to the scriptures. In doing so, I hope to gain insight and understanding from God's teaching. That's it. That's it. All right. Um, oh, hey, hey, Alabama. Yes. I'm impressed with the mathematical knowledge of high school students back then. I don't think college students are that smart now. No, I, and I again think about well, think about the caliber of gospel preacher. Here's the thing: I, I've said it before. I've got access to all of these resources that are at a finger, and what it would have taken Guy in Woods Woods months to research, and he would have to write letters and get people to send him stuff. He would have to travel to different places. I literally can do six months of research in a couple of hours, never leaving my office. Now, 
That makes it easy. If you want a if you want a good microcosm of how that has negatively affected us, how many phone numbers do you remember that you've learned in the last ten years, versus how many phone numbers do you remember from your childhood? If you are of an age like I am, I'm forty six. Well, I tell you, man, I remember five three eight nine seven three one five three eight nine nine four five. Five three eight three five 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 three eight two six seven four five three eight no eight eight five zero eight three one. I bet you I could come up with other people that I call. Oh, eight eight four zero four eight eight. I, I can come up with a lot of phone numbers of people that I used to call that I remembered from before I had a cell phone to re- to memorize all my numbers for me. Brandon Wild says, too, <laughs> let me clean up some of these contents. Then we're going to look at a couple passages of scriptures, and then we're going to be done. Uh, this one from Sword and Pearl has been hanging out. I think Satan would do whatever he can to make us believe God is billions and billions of miles away, that we're just a small speck of nothingness amongst millions of galaxies. What's the greatest weapon of the evolutionist and God deniers? Look at all of this expansive universe. Look at a picture of the world from space. Yeah, that's... um, I just wonder if Satan didn't help those people get up there to space. That's something to think about. I don't know. Now that talk about a conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory I'd entertain. Remember, just to, just because you're succeeding in your current endeavor, it doesn't mean that it's God helping you. And that ought to scare you to death. That ought to scare you to death. All right. First off, we've already looked at the Epicureans. We've looked at First Timothy four. Uh, six, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you're going to be a good minister. And then the, 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 the final passage, the one that, that takes the cake, listen to this. And then I'm going to tell you a story and we're going to be done. All right. Verse 12 of second Peter chapter one, Jonathan's already copy and pasted this into the, into the, into the, into the chat. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, ta- this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in your remembrance. Go count how many times. Remembrance, 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 and and I'm telling you things you already know. If you want to be a good gospel preacher, do not endeavor to tell anybody anything new. Don't try to tell them anything they, they they, they, they don't already know. Just tell them what's in the Scripture. Todd Clippard. <laughs> Todd Clippard. Look, man, I don't want I don't want Todd Clippard against me because I've seen his review of this book about a new hermeneutic. Um, he wrote a review about 
I think somebody named Hicks wrote a book about a new hermeneutic and Todd wrote a scathing review and I read some of it anyway on the, on the comment section of the Facebook post, I wrote this. I think before folks try to get a new hermeneutic, they ought to use the old one. <laughs> well, Before you try to teach anybody anything new, make sure they've got the stuff that's already been taught down pat. Before you start trying to teach the intricacies of semantics and syntax, make sure they understand the parts of speech. Make sure they know the difference between a noun, a pronoun, a verb, and an adverb. Make sure they know the difference between a subject and a predicate. Before you try to teach them the finer points of literary prose, make sure they know about sentence structure. Always go back to the fundamentals. My suggestion for those of you that are listening to this that are gospel preachers, endeavor to be a boring preacher. Now, that doesn't mean you want to get up there and, and be dry and preach like this, but get up there and put the brethren in remembrance of the truth they already profess in which they've already been established. Are you preaching to people that are saved? Then teach them or put them in remembrance to the things that saved them. Peter endeavored to do that while he was alive now let me tell you the story oh thank yeah hey, hey alabama i think you're right we need to learn grammar we apparently didn't do so well in school with it no we didn't all right dan winkler the first time that i ever saw him preach it was at the Memphis School of Preaching Lectureships in 2013. Yeah, because I started in 2013. No, it had been 2014 because August of 2013 and then spring of 2015 is when I graduated. So it would have been 2014, the spring of 2014, that the lectureships happened. It was Dan Winkler, and he preached about um, – Anyway, I may try to find it and link it to one of these comment sections. It's a really good sermon. But what I noticed is he looked six foot, 17 inches tall in the pulpit. He was preaching with authority, his shoulders back, his chin out. And then... Whenever the end of the sermon came about, y'all, he shrunk. It's like he, he, he hunched over, like physically. And whenever he was sitting in the pew, he was hunched over. It's, it's, and, and I interpreted this, hadn't talked to him about it, so I don't know, but I interpreted this as 
it's a, it's a psychosomatic response to his attitude of now that the message is out, I want to diminish myself. And it almost looked like he's trying to hide behind something. I wonder if he's trying to hide behind the cross. Here's the message. Don't think about me anymore. Complexity isn't the mark of a good sermon. Simplicity is. That's right. And um, people always searching for, quote-unquote, gnosis. That's knowledge, unfortunately. And right now, Brandon is in is embroiled in a sub in a study with Jehovah's Witnesses, and he's doing some research, and he's finding the basis of all of these false doctrines can typically be traced back to the Gnostic heresy, which is people trying to find ways to transcend this realm of existence. You don't have to look; you got a guidebook. You can transcend this realm of existence by doing this. I mean, if God had told you to do some great thing in order to transcend this realm of existence, wouldn't you do it? Why not? Why, why wouldn't you just wash and be clean? It is a pride thing. Folks, I'm so thankful for those of you that have tuned in. I didn't mean to get off on the tangent of the flat earth and the moon landing. The moon landing is a little bit different to me. If you, if, if you, don't, if you don't believe the moon landing happened, I can take that a whole lot more than I can take somebody thinking the earth is flat. If you tell me that you think the earth is flat and you're serious, they're just not anything that I can do with you anymore. I'm just like, there's like, I, I don't even, I, I'm not even sure that I would be the one to be able to convince you because I have so much disdain for that level of idiocy. Now it is not a level of idiocy to think that the people didn't land on the moon because quite frankly, there's a lot of, evidence like that. I mean, there is something to consider about the Van Allen radiation belt. There is something to consider about the communication. There is something to consider about stuff like that. However, all of those stuff can, all of those things can be answered. But regardless of that, even if you couldn't answer those things like, well, it's still, they did not possess the technology to fake it. So what happened? So there, there's something to consider there. Anyway, folks, remember, if you want to be a good minister, stand behind the cross, not in front of it. Don't endeavor to teach or, or tell or find some new thing. It's a 2,000-year-old book at its youngest. Just keep preaching the things that that are in it. You don't have to get clever. I know that sometimes my sermon titles and stuff, I, I'll come up with something I think is really cool. And I'll be like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to be that clever with my sermon titles. I got a sermon about, um, uh, a Bible, like studying the Bible and, and not really hermeneutics, but just studying the Bible. And I talk, I call it the spectacles of Bible interpretation because in spectacles, you've got two lenses and a bridge that connects the two lenses. And in the and on one lens is we have to sit where they sat. That's Ezekiel chapter three. Whenever Ezekiel was given the revelation, he went and he sat for seven days with his audience. So you got to sit where they sat. And then uh, Isaiah fifty five ten and eleven, as the rains come down and the snow comes down and doesn't and the water doesn't come go back to heaven from whence it came without giving. Uh, without giving sustenance so that the 
eater has food and the sower has seed, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It's not going to return unto me void. It's going to accomplish that for which it was sent. Well, okay. So if, if that's the case, then I have to sit where they sat and I have to only teach from the scripture what God intended to be taught from it. And you're like, well, that's great, but then that means the Bible is not timeless. You're right. So you got to connect those two ideas with the bridge. Well, what's the bridge? Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So when I read a passage of Scripture in the Bible, I check out to whom, like what would the audience of the day understand? And then what was God trying to accomplish? And then I use what can the 21st century learn from that? And how would that apply to the 21st century? Well, that's the bridge. And that's about as cute as I want to get in a sermon. I think it's, I think it's still, I think it's too cute by about half anyway. People attribute their well-being to God's blessings when life is favorable. However, it's essential to recognize that the adversary employs cunning methods sometimes disguising seemingly good things to undermine our connection with God. Vigilance and discernment are crucial in navigating life's complexities. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Paul said it himself. It's no wonder that Satan's angels, Satan's messengers can appear as messengers of the gospel because Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. Something to think about. If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. Boy, that's really, yeah. I know, you, I know you're saying that to Brandon Myers, but that's absolutely correct. Yeah, if you can't make it simple, you don't really understand it. All right, folks, that's all I've got here. I'm going to look for that video of that filmmaker that talked about the moon landing. I think it's awesome, and uh, maybe you'll like it as well as I do. It's like 10 or 12 years old by now, but uh, listen. Follow us on Substack. It's a free subscription unless you want to pay $5, and we'd love for you to pay $5. Christianity Now streams. Rumble and YouTube have been fighting, so I don't know what I'm going to do with Rumble, but the automatically uploading videos from YouTube to Rumble, they are no longer synced with one another. So we'll see what we do on Rumble. Um, but other than that, thank you so much. Aaron Dotson got his audio equipment. We're going to set that up and get it, and uh, and and the next time that you see me and Aaron together on the stream, uh, his you may not be able to tell a discernible difference, but there will be a difference because his audio will be better, and it will translate much better to post production. And we we were able to do that because of y'all uh, supporting us monetarily, and because of y'all liking, subscribing, sharing, and stuff like that. Folks, God bless every one of you. Thank you so much. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Follow us at Cogitations Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and we'll catch you on the flip side.